This is Rick Thomas. Thank you so much for joining me for this podcast. You're listening to Your Daily Drive. The title of the podcast is Listen Up. I want to talk you out of becoming a Christian. Perhaps you are thinking about becoming a Christian. You look at our lifestyle and you see how wonderful it is, or maybe not, but you are thinking about becoming one. And so what I want to do, what I hope to do in this podcast is to talk you out of becoming a Christian. Our Evangelism 101 classes are really not that great. We need to be doing a better job at explaining to folks what it means to become a Christian. And so after you listen to this podcast and you are persistent and you want to become a Christian, well, good for you. You're welcome to become one. But first, I want you to listen to the podcast. Thank you so much for joining me. This again is Your Daily Drive. I am Rick Thomas. You can find me at rickthomas.net. And if you want to read everything that I'm going to share with you, you can do that. Go to our website, look for the title of this article, I Want to Talk You Out of Becoming a Christian. And you can read everything that I'm going to share with you, and that would be great. And I would love for you to share it with your friends. I had a lady write in from Nashville, Tennessee, just yesterday, I believe it was, and she was asking for this article, and so it is ready. It's ready for her. It's ready to go, and I hope that you too will be one of those people that will want to read and share it with your friends. She happens to be a biblical counselor, and she is using it in a counseling context, and I love that. Jan, thank you so much for doing that, and I hope um, that it blesses the folks that you are serving, and please continue to Use all of our resources to minister to, to the people wherever you may be. Let me give you quickly my speaking schedule because some people do ask for this. And so if you're in any of these areas or if you need more information, just write us at support, support at rickthomas.net and we'll connect you with the people at these locations and you can get the information from them. But on June 16th, this is 2019, depending on when you're listening to this podcast. But June 16th, I'll be at Calvary Baptist Church in Winter Garden, Florida. July the 3rd through the 14th, I'll be at Marco Church on Marco Island, Florida. August the 8th through 11th, I'll be in Bayou City Fellowship in Katy, Texas. That is the Houston area. August 15th through the 18th, I'll be at the Old Faithful Christian Camp in Yellowstone National Park. September the 13th through the 15th, I'll be at Community Bible Church in Trenton, Michigan. Now, if you are a pastor or if you know someone in, the, in any of these areas where we're going to be, well, we would love to make it a twofer and come to your place and and do a conference or a one-day speaking event. Whatever it is that you need, whatever it is that you want me to do, I'll be glad to consider that. Please write at support at rickthomas.net, and we can talk about it. Maybe you have another place in mind. Again, just write and ask, and I would love to do that. This is what we do. We want to spread the practical message of of Jesus Christ uh, to believers far and wide. And so if you want me to come and speak, I'll be glad to serve your church, your counseling organization, or whatever it may be. We're tentatively working on a trip in Hawaii as well. We had a ministry contact us, and so we're looking at multiple locations where we can speak. And so if you have connections in Hawaii, 
on any of the islands of, of local churches where I could speak while I'm out there. The reason I'm asking is because if I'm going out there, it is a long way. It's six time zones from where I live, and we'd love to go. We'd love to serve the folks out there, but since we're that far, we'd like to make the most out of it. And so if there are other churches on the islands that we can serve, then please contact us and let us know as we're working on our arrangements for a possible uh, speaking trip to Hawaii. Let me get back to this article because I want to talk you out of becoming a Christian, and that is the title of it. The things they did not tell me when the Lord regenerated me would have affected my decision to become a Christian. Humanly speaking, of course. Looking back on it now, it was 1984 when the Lord regenerated me. I am glad he did not give me a peek into my future because I probably would have passed on the opportunity to become a Christian. Now, let me give you a big caveat and a footnote for you theologians uh, before you send me that email. I am well aware that what I'm saying is theologically flawed and intellectually lacking. But it is something worth pondering. What if you could reject the Lord's effectual call on your life? Of course you can't, so save the email. But what I want you to do is stop for a moment and think about what I am saying. Before I became a Christian, I was ignorant of what a life with Christ meant. I had no category for God or religion. Well, maybe I had a category, but it was a false category. It, the idea that I had what it meant to be in a relationship with God, it was something along the lines of blissfulness and problem-free living. But shortly after God regenerated me, I began to stack up a, a list of what I call disappointments with God. Not because He was the problem, but it was because I was ignorant. And that's what I want to solve or help you work through in this podcast. You need to know what you're signing up for. Do you think I would have followed Christ if He revealed my future with Him? No. I would not have if I could put myself back in my unregenerate state. And that's where you want to be careful because we can look back through time through a spiritual, biblical Christian lens and say, oh no, I would have trusted God because you know you know so much theology now and, and you've learned so much about the Bible. But go back to that pre-existing condition where, well, if you are like me, you had no category for God or religion, had no idea, was not part of a church, never read the Bible. Do you think I would have followed Christ if he would have revealed my future uh, my future with him? No, absolutely not. Two murders, my two brothers murdered 10 years apart, one divorce, loss of two children, loss of all worldly possessions. That's a literal statement. Alienation from the Christian community as my Christian brothers and sisters alienated me. Those were just a few things that God planned for my future he said in Jeremiah 1.5, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you and appointed you a prophet to the nations. I cannot say that God did not know my future because he would be less than omniscient 
And I also cannot say that, that God had no power to stop these things from happening because he is omnipotent. But if I had known about these things in my unregenerate, dead spiritual self, no, I, I would not have followed Christ. Before becoming a Christian, I thought to become a Christian meant I had to ride around on bicycles telling people about Jesus. Those were the only people that I knew who did such a thing. Those were Mormons, by the way, if you're not familiar with what I'm saying here. And, of course, Mormons are not Christians. But that is what I thought Christians were because that was the only context that I had. In my estimation, Christians were kooks. And to become one was the last thing that I wanted Do you think if the Lord had given me a peek into the future, I would have said, yippee, where do I sign up? No, not at all. It was a mercy from God not to tell me about my future. It reminds me of Job 1.12. And the Lord said to Satan, quote, Behold, all that he has is in your hand. Only against him do not stretch out your hand. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. Well, the Lord permitted certain things in my life, and quite honestly, they were horrific, but I had no awareness of those things because he would not reveal them to me. But this also presents a problem. Though the Lord should not and will not tell us what he has written into our script, we should do a better job briefing soon-to-be converts about the life they are choosing to live. And that's why I titled the podcast in a, uh, this article as well. In a quirky way, I understand it. I want to talk you out of becoming a Christian because if you are a soon-to-be convert, I want to brief you on the life that you are considering. In Philippians 1.29, Paul said, For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him, yea, glory to God, but also suffer for his sake. Oh my. You see, Christianity gives a person two gifts, not one, as you embark on your born-again journey. When the Lord saves a person, he grants him salvation. That's exactly what Paul said in Philippians 1.29. And conjunction, suffering. I think most people are naive when they come into Christianity. They quickly embrace and enjoy the belief part, the salvific part, the soteriology part. But there is no preparation for the suffering part. Before salvation, the lost individual walked with the world. They went with the flow, and the Lord converted them by the mighty power of the gospel. They did an about-face and began walking contrary to the world. This about-face creates relational resistance and conflict with their former selves and also the old culture. That will never go away. This conflict will never go away until Christ returns. When the Lord talked about our life on earth, he framed it as a call to die. Listen to Luke 14, 25 through 27. Now great crowds accompanied him, accompanied Jesus, and he turned and said to them, 
If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father, hate his own mother, hate his wife, hate his children, hate his brothers, hate his sisters, yes, and even hate his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. You think the title of my article and podcast was quirky. I want to talk you out of becoming a Christian. What do you think just happened with this crowd? If anyone comes after me and doesn't hate his father, mother, wife, children, brothers, sisters, and his own life, you cannot be my disciple. You're sitting in Jesus' Evangelism 101 seminar, and he's giving you the entire speech. You see, in this text, in Luke 14, 25 through 27, everyone's getting juiced up on Jesus. He was doing cool stuff, and his fandom was growing. Being with Jesus was the end thing. They wanted their WWJD bracelets just after they asked him into their hearts. But you know what? Jesus discerned these things because Jesus was, he was ever perceptive. And he discerned the problems of easy followism. Hanging with him meant more than networking in the here and now and eternal bliss in the afterlife. The door he was asking folks to walk through was narrow. His evangelism style was not politically correct. Imagine sitting in his Evangelism 101 seminars. He would most certainly cover salvation, praise God, adoption, justification, and all the glorification stuff. But he would also include the come-to-die things. It wouldn't be like some of the sweepstakes material you receive in the mail where you've won $100,000 is plastered across the face of a glossy card. Only later do you notice the fine print that tells you about a snowball's chance in Hades to win the loot. Jesus is a full disclosure kind of guy. If you choose to follow him, you'll have to die. And to resist your death will have a combo effect on your soul. You'll be a miserable worldly person and an unhappy Christian. You won't fit in with either crowd. You'll live in the sad gray space where you become of little value in God's redemptive plans. You see, Jesus didn't, Jesus didn't hide the ball when it came to this idea of salvation, and we want to make sure that we're not hiding the ball when we are talking to others about this amazing opportunity to become born again. In Matthew 5, 13, Jesus said, You're the salt of the earth, and if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no, no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. That's why you don't want to find yourself where you don't fit in either with either crowd, where you're living in this sad gray space, where you become little value in God's redemptive plans. You need to learn how to suffer well. One of the most significant sin issues that I encounter among Christians is anger. 
And the anger that I'm talking about is is not so much a fit of volatile rage, but low-grade irritation that burns in the Christian's heart. It's like a low-grade fever that is just annoying enough to keep a person off their spiritual game. It churns below the surface of their lives and is hardly perceptible to their friends. Only when someone provokes them do you realize that there was this low-grade burn. Otherwise, it's their, it's their miserable secret that only God perceives, ironically, the, the one with whom they must give an account. Let me give you a few words that make up the anger complex that characterizes this kind of person. Who, and what I'm speaking of here is the person who only really understands the first gift, the salvation gift, but they've never really come to terms with the suffering gift. And because of the disappointments that accumulate in their lives, this is why I say one of the most significant sin issues that I encounter among Christians is anger. But let me share that anger complex with you. Here are some synonyms for anger. Frustration, disappointment, discouragement, discontentment, anxiousness, worry, despair, depression, fear, regret, bitterness, jealousy, coveting, hard heart, criticalness, self-reliance, arrogance, grumbling, and complaining. All of these you can draw a line to, if you put the word anger in the center of the paper, you could draw a line from all of these words back to this core problem of anger. All of them make up and flow out of a person's angry heart. And you can connect these descriptors to a person who has a wrong view of God. They have a wrong view of His sovereignty, a wrong view of the gift of suffering, and a wrong view of the purposes of the gospel. This anger constellation forms a heart construct that keeps the person in bondage to his misguided desires while blinding him to all the Lord offers him through the door of death. He has not learned the value and purposes of suffering. We could avoid a lot of bitterness and a lot of anger in our hearts if we did a better job discipling new believers. There is no vaporizing of Adam after our regeneration. What does happen at salvation is a new way of thinking about and a new way of responding to the wrong things that happen to us. The Lord changes our animating center from death to life. We have new God-generated power to overcome our difficulties. But, but listen to that statement. It doesn't mean we don't have difficulties. There are two gifts at salvation. It is belief and it is suffering. We know that we will overcome. But we also know that our life will be full of hardship, and every person needs to know this. And it's the person that not only doesn't know this, but doesn't know how to suffer well, that lives in this low burn of anger. An excellent diagnosis question to measure where you are regarding your disappointment with God is to listen to how you respond when bad things happen to you. The crucible of suffering will draw out the content of your heart more effectively than anything else. Being surprised or caught off guard is the moment 
when you reveal your true self to yourself, and by the way, also to others. Those unguarded times of disappointment will show your authentic character. Now, while it's easy to present yourself well when you're prepared, that's called self-reliance. You have everything under control. There's an article on our website that says it's easy to trust God when I when I am in control. And I, I guess in a quirky way that is that is true. But it is those unsuspecting times that reveal your functional theology. Think about the last time when you were surprised by a child or by a spouse or by a friend. It was an adverse situation. It was a negative thing, a critical thing, a hurtful thing, a disappointing thing, whatever. And how did you respond? It is in those unsuspecting moments when your functional theology will will be right in front of you, front and center, and that will be your most authentic self. These moments are the theology that you want to examine. Now, while it's essential to know a lot about God, that's our intellect, what is just as important is how you respond to what you know about God, and that is our practice. And so we want to make sure that what we know and what we do, that they are consistent. Knowledge of God is good. Keep pressing on. Keep learning. Keep growing. But knowledge without application will tempt a person to become arrogant. The wise person is always seeking to learn more about God while proportionately learning how to apply what he is gaining practically. This perspective should change how you think about your trials. After you sin in response to an unguarded moment, the most useful thing you can do is to ask the Father to teach you how you can change so you don't respond that way again. This response is biblically mature for your trials. The worst thing you could do is get sidetracked by focusing on what happened to you primarily. That that is your main focus, is on who did what to you rather than how you can change. If you focus more on who what on who did what to you more than how you can change, there are two things that are guaranteed. Number one, you will not learn from what happened which will position you to make the same mistake the next time a similar temptation comes along. And number two, by focusing on the other person, you will continue to perpetuate relational dysfunction in your life and theirs too. There may be a time in the future to help the person who is sinning against you, but that's not the most important thing you can do when bad things happen to you. This tension that I'm speaking of right now reminds me of the time I received the news of my brother's murder. At that moment, the Lord prompted me to talk to him, talk to the Lord, about the tragedy before doing anything else. The first order of business was to get alone with my script writer to try to discern what he was up to and how he wanted me to respond to this horrible circumstance. Before I could minister to my family, before I could respond to those who perpetrated this evil, I had to examine my heart. I needed to get alone with God. It was vital for me to dial in on my heart to discern what the Father was writing into my life. This critical response, first response, prepared me to act redemptively 
toward others. This view of suffering positions you to be a redemptive agent in the world. If you do not do these things, you will not be a redemptive agent. You will not know how to suffer well. You will have a weak theology of suffering. We must have a sound theology of salvation and a sound theology of suffering because those are the two gifts that God gives you at the point of being born again. If you want to read this podcast, the article is on the website, rickthomas.net. It is titled, I Want to Talk You Out of Becoming a Christian. Really what I want to do is I want you to be, I want to give you full disclosure here because Jesus was a full disclosure kind of guy. You need to know what you're getting yourself into. This view of suffering that I'm speaking of will make you a redemptive agent in the world. It will also prevent you from becoming bitter, angry, vengeful, unforgiving. By the way, if you are any of these things now, and I'm I'm not talking about episodically, episodically angry, but I'm talking about if you have a pattern of bitterness in your life or anger or vengefulness or unforgiveness, well, then you are not, you have not learned what I am am sharing here, and you are not or have not up to this point applied these things into your life. But by redemptively reflecting on your heart and making the necessary changes, you are now positioned to follow the Savior. If you don't do this, you won't be able to follow Him effectively, and your life will never experience the shalom of the soul that you crave. This truth about suffering It is a hard pill to swallow. It goes against our understanding of the survival of the fittest instincts. I was just reading a a quote or a statement that one of our readers, her name is Paige, and she's recently stumbled onto our ministry and has been reading a lot of our articles and I think listening to the podcast some, I believe she said. And Paige said in one of her little comments that seem to go across my desk. It says, I really appreciate this grown-up stuff. Well, I guess that's what our ministry is. That's what it's for. I was telling Lucia about that last night. I said, we have, she she said, it's grown-up stuff. And it most certainly is. It is is grown-up stuff. But we have to get to this place where we can accept this hard pill to swallow because our undivided loyalty is to ourselves. And we don't have enough sense to know what is best for us. And this reality may be one reason the Lord does not tell us all that He plans for us. We're not mature enough to handle His truth. As Jesus said in 1612 of John, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. I think if Jesus would have said many things to me in 1984, right before He regenerated me, there is no question that was my point earlier. I was not mature enough to bear those things then. Still yet, it would serve many of our brothers and sisters well to know the truth about God's call on their lives. We don't, we don't need to know the specifics about His plans. I don't want to know the specifics about His plans for my life. But there are a few things that you need to know. Let me give you four of those things as I wrap up this podcast. Number one, the Lord will systematically put you to death. There is a smell, there's a a smell, an aroma of death uh, to the Lord's ministry 
And if you choose to walk through that narrow door with him, he will systematically dismantle your Adamicness. He will systematically put you to death. And it is vital that you understand this. Number two, there's no other option. It's not option one, option two. If you choose to walk with the Lord, he will systematically put you to death. Now, you can resist how you want to die. That's an option. You can go kicking and screaming, complaining, angry, bitter, cynical, unforgiving, etc. Or you can go in a more mature, humble way. But number one, the Lord will systematically put you to death. So when you have your evangelism seminar, 101 seminar, as you talk about how to be born again, you need to explain this. As you do this, God will systematically put you to death. Number two, there is no other option. Number three, you can walk through death with Him or without Him. Some people are culture, they choose not to be saved. They're going to go through their own frustration and hardships of life without the Lord. So do you want to walk with the Lord or not with the Lord? But there's no other option. You'll be put to death. Number four, if you choose to walk through death with Him, it will be one of the most rewarding experiences of your life, and you'll just have to trust me on that. My loving and merciful, merciful Heavenly Father knew not to tell me all the things that He had in store for me. I was glad for this. But as I sit here now reflecting on His kindness to me, there is no question that all the pain and suffering was for my good and for His glory. The title of the podcast is, I want to talk you out of becoming a Christian. I hope I've talked you into it. If you want to learn more, come to our website and, and let's talk. Your Daily Drive is a production of rickthomas.net, a global community that is seeking to live more productive and inspiring lives. If you'd like to learn more about our community, please go to rickthomas.net, rickthomas.net.